You know, when I was developing a relationship with the Lord, you guys glad to be at church this morning? When I was developing a relationship with the Lord, I made the mistake of just asking him over and over again, like why he would love me. And I still don't know. I just like living there though. And sometimes we get so worked up because you don't know why he loves you because you wouldn't love you on your non-Instagram days. Come on, young people. But he does anyways. I don't know why that is. I still haven't figured it out. Now I live in the mystery that he does. He just does. I don't, it's not a building. These empty spaces that God wants to fill. Sometimes we come to church and we want to like, you know, come in with your like manicured life. And you just had a fight on the way here. Come on. Am I preaching to real people here? And you're going to have a fight on your way out and you're just like, hey, everything's perfect. Look at my life. It's amazing. And God's like, just bring the empty spaces so that I have something to fill. My next uh, sermon series actually in September is going to be called Empty Hands. Empty hands are the key to increase. Because as long as your hands are closed, God can't do anything with it. He can't put anything into closed hands. And the tighter you grip onto what you have, the tighter you grip onto fear too. Have you been enjoying our sermon series about Elijah the prophet? <laughs> he was one hairy guy. You got to go back and listen to the rest. I'm not going to explain it. Paul says to the Galatians, let's not get tired of doing what's good. You ever get tired of doing what's good? We got no moms in the house with teenagers. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. But turn to your neighbor and say, just the right time. You don't have it yet because it's not the right time. Be patient. Said somebody like me, right? Yeah, be patient. Pastor must be patient because he's a pastor. It says this though, if we don't give up. And uh, you're going to see Elijah has this incredible mountaintop experience from last week where it's like the nation has come back to God. All the prophets of Baal are done. He outruns Ahab's chariot. Like I would be talking about that forever. But he goes from mountain to cave. And there's something, there's a susceptibility in your life after the mountain. Anybody have a mountaintop experience? If you were here at First Wednesday, it was a mountaintop experience for Venue Church where the power of greed was broken as we're, as we're, we did a heart for the house. Can we put that thing up there right now? We raised on First Wednesday that amount in the top corner to build God's house right there. Now, you didn't see that final number there, but that was a mountaintop experience for me. Because about a week ago when I'm preaching, I'm like, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. Like, hey, we're good with money. Like, I get that because we're four years old and we have a new church building, right? So we're like, yeah, our budget is good. We get it. But we still need a miracle. And uh, I came to First Wednesday with my heart set on... And we had a mountaintop experience. And when you give sacrificially, that's a mountaintop experience because whether or not you realize it, a miracle is released to you that's on the way. At just the right time, you will reap the harvest if you don't give up and if you don't lose heart. And um, we had this, uh, this uh, pledge on there. And I'm, I'm going to be talking about this a little bit as we move into September, I think. But a funny, I just have a funny story from First Wednesday. You guys, so funny. The reason then that number, when we were at first Wednesday, it wasn't quite that number. And there was a, a big gift that came in late because uh, we got a text from the venue phone that one of the gals showed me that said, um, we sent 
I'm so-and-so and I'm in for, and it was quite a large gift, but we sent it to the wrong number. <laughs> and, and this is what they said, now they want to be friends. <laughs> I'm like, invite them to church. Yeah, 100%. Um, it was a mountaintop experience. You know, it's like having a birthday party. You know, when you're a kid having a birthday party, it's a mountaintop experience, right? But, um, but then as you get older, you're like, then there's the cave that follows the mountain. You're like, I'm old. Crystal and Layden and Arwen, they all have birthdays like now or whenever. And you have this mountaintop experience of the party, but then you're like the, then you wake up Monday and you're like, I'm, I'm old. Like I'm getting old. The mountaintop experience. Thanks, John. Hey, somebody had a mountaintop experience like your teenager started like reading their Bible for the first time this week. And you're like, there is a God in heaven. Right? You have this mountaintop experience. The devil lays a trap for you after the mountain. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And so even in, in my soul, after this mountaintop experience where, where you were so generous with the Lord and with his house, I have to watch out because uh, Elijah didn't get this test right. He didn't get this next part right. And I'm going to show you by the end what he missed. Um, some of you lifted your hands for the first time in worship today. That's a mountaintop experience. Now, you can't stay on the mountain all the time, but I'll tell you, you don't need to go into the cave. You can go through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't need to end up in a cave like Elijah ends up in. Um, can, I, can I brag on somebody? I don't know, they were here in a previous service. I don't know if they're here. I, did, I said I wasn't going to name names, so they're... Um, you know, we have a South African family. <laughs> He's a big sort of guy. Yeah. I want to brag a little bit. I asked him if I could brag on him. And he's like, well, I can't stop you. And I'm like, no, you can't because I'm physically intimidating. <laughs> if you know who I'm talking about, if you don't know who I'm talking about, you need to get in like small groups and stuff because like we do life with together. And, and when I'm with this particular man, He's, he's physically intimidated by me just because of, there's something in me that's just like raw, powerful, and just large, right? <laughs> so can I share a miracle with you? Cause they sacrificially, they haven't been home to South Africa in a while since they came here, I think. And they haven't been home. They've been saving up money and they looked at each other and God said, give it what they've been saving. And they gave it and they closed a deal on a house yesterday morning. And we were praying. I'm like, God, release that miracle to them. And here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think God will get them back to South Africa too. Because God's like, good. I was just waiting for this miracle to happen. Um, anyways, I just want to brag on them a little bit. Hey, my brother Ryan and his family are here, which, you know, I was totally not going to embarrass. Them. So you've heard me, you know, preach a lot about Ryan. And, you know, things have been said. From my pulpit and you know probably from his pulpit <laughs> so i think you know just to bury that hatchet of competitive you know brother whatever maybe we should just like apologize to each other on three so <laughs> ready one two three <laughs> see i knew he wasn't gonna say anything that's why i've been talking about this whole time <laughs> i love my brother Competitive. Don't just have boys, man. It's just always competitive, right? My brother and I, um, we're sort of project-oriented. I think we should sort of share a bit of that with, with dad. Dad is a very project-oriented person. And, and um, 
Ryan and I, you know, when you're pastor's kids, there are some perks to being a pastor's kid. There are many, but there are some. We would, um, in dad's church, we'd find ourselves in the kitchen after church sometimes, like we would ever be in the kitchen normally after church. But we found ourselves in the kitchen after communion service when they had all those little cups of grape juice. You remember those? And there was like all the leftover cups of grape juice and we found ourselves in the kitchen. I'd be like, what are you doing here? He's like, you know what I'm doing here. What are you doing here? So we'd have a little extra communion. <laughs> Do grape juice shots. <laughs> um, you know, our, our, um, our parents, they heard from God and they, 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 they both lived. We, we started our family in a town of 500 people up east of Edmonton. So like not a big place, right? And God told them to go and, and they moved our family to Los Angeles in 1981. Now, moving to Los Angeles now is problematic. And it's different than here, right? Back then, town of 500 people, you moved someplace in 1981. And like, if you're like under 35, you don't know this. There was no internet. So you don't know what it looks like unless you have like an encyclopedia. There's no email. There's nothing. There's the phone call. You remember when you used to have to call some? You had to call to the, and talk to their dad before you could talk to her. Come on. That's why nobody called. Because your dad's scary. And so um, they moved our family there because God told them to. And it was like, but there's something about my dad. And, and some of you have this. Um, it's part of how God made you. You're project oriented. Got any project oriented people here? Renee's project oriented. Renee's so project-oriented. I'm kind of project-oriented. Nobody's project-oriented. You can raise your hand. It's okay. Elijah was project-oriented, right? And so Renee's so project-oriented, she'll, she'll have a list. And she loves lists, right? And then she'll, she'll put something on the list she's already done to check it off the list. That's a mess right there. But if it wasn't for Renee and her project orientedness, like nothing would happen around here. You know, like you wouldn't be in the right small group. They'd be the wrong night. You wouldn't know your own name. I'm talking about myself now. I wouldn't know what I'm doing and who I'm supposed to be saying hi to and who just had a baby. No, I, I do know that. Um, Scott's project oriented. You need those project oriented people. Scott's project oriented. So I put him in charge of the project of building the church. So like, I love people, people. But if I put you in charge of the project of building the church, well, the project would never get done. Everybody would love you, but we'd be building the, like five years from now, we need to be in there in the fall. And so project oriented people are, are, are great. They have a way of like checking boxes, right? And so my dad is project oriented. And so, so when they moved to LA, it's like, no, God told us to go here. And so it's like, you need that strength of that project orientation to like keep you on track. One time my mom, my mom, woke up in the middle of the night there, they were under so much pressure and like, this is all new. And she couldn't even remember her own name, but because my dad is like on mission, you know, there's that, but we're staying, right? We got to stay until the job's done. We got to stay until the mission is done. That project oriented when I, when I was a kid, um, you know how you, my brother would always get roped into my ideas, I think. And, and dad said, you were very focused when you were a kid. So, so, um, I wanted to build a fort in the backyard in, in Pasadena. And, but you need materials to build a fort, right? Are we tracking people, people, you, you need stuff to build stuff, right? And sometimes well, this is actually good. Sometimes God is like, I'm waiting for you to sow seed to give you a harvest. Like 
give me something to work with so that I can multiply it, right? The multiplication, not a problem, but give me. And so I needed some seed to sow into my, so I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking because I need, you know, wood or something to build my Ford out of. And I'm looking and I'm like, let's see, you know, wood. I'm looking around and I'm like, the fence. So I see the fence and my dad obviously wasn't there and he didn't come back for a while. And dad's like, you were so focused. By the time dad saw it, I, I had to go find something to see if I could knock one of the boards off just to see if this was going to work. And it came off super easy because the fence was like old. I had half of that fence down by the time dad got home and it was a fort. <laughs> and if you have project oriented kids, man, the focus is incredible. But now you got to put the uh, fence, you know, you got to put the fort back on the fence, right? Because it's L.A. <laughs> And um, there's that project-oriented, that drive, and that it's a good thing. You know, project-oriented people, if you're married to one, you don't love this about them, but it's actually not a bad thing. When there's this, like, dramatic flare-up in your relationship, they just put the drama in a box, and then they mail it back to themselves in a day or two. But you're, like, all like, no, we're doing this now! And they're like, let me think about it. It's not a bad thing to get it back in 24 hours because sometimes it kills the drama a little bit and there's just the issue in the box. Now, Project, if we're fair, sometimes we also mail a box back of you know, people problems so that we can finish our job and we mail that back in a couple of months. And then we get it and we're like, ooh. Yeah. And then we mail it out again and <laughs> just keep mailing it. But there's that project-orientedness. God made us that way if you're a project-oriented person. Elijah was a project-oriented person. But the question, what happens when the project gets done? So he'd had this mountaintop experience. His, the call of God in his life came true. He'd reached his destiny. And, and then he finds himself in this weirdly vulnerable place. But see, when God gives you a project, I don't think God thinks about it the way that you think about it. Um, what if God's project always involves people? Think about it like that. You're, you're not just changing diapers. Because it's like change diaper, change. Well, you're always going to have a diaper to change until change diaper. You have this project like must go to work to pay for girls to eat. You know, that's my life. Must work, feed kids. And you're constantly checking this never ending box off, you know, must get along with, must play well in the sandbox, must make money, must get to quota. And there's all these Boxes that we just keep checking off and checking off and checking off. But after a while, you can start feeling like kind of bitter about it, you know? Like, I keep doing it and this other person and I got teenagers and they're never grateful. And I, your teenagers are here. That's why you're not laughing. <laughs> you know, like you don't understand my parents. I'm just like constantly, you know, I got to obey my mom all the time. But she doesn't know anything because, you know, <laughs> too soon. What if God doesn't think about Jobs like that. What if he thinks about every time that you get to change that diaper? You don't have to. You get to. That's how we say it around here. I don't have to set up a chair. I get to set up a chair that you're going to sit in and experience God. Well, what if it, we change our, how we think about that? And what if it's not a, a task in a box but a name? We've got some babies, you know. What, what, if, it's, what if it's like Elijah? I have a baby named Elijah. That's incredible. What if it's like not a... What if it's a name in a, in, a, in a box? And what if instead of like, I have to do just the job, it's like, no, I get to bless the person by doing the job. So this is about, you know, my mom used to pray for me. Psalm chapter one. 
I don't know when she would do it because there's probably not an ideal time to pray anything over me. Especially when I don't look like Psalm chapter 1. But because she would, she never forgot that it was not about the job of getting, uh, keeping Corey out of jail. There's something more when you, when you touch that child. There's something more when you interact with people. There's something more at work that she started praying this over me and it came true because she, she understood it was a spirit-to-spirit connection that God wanted to pour something through her and into me. But sometimes you just need the task to be able to have an excuse to do it through. And so she would pray, blessed is the man, this little man. He doesn't look like it now. Blessed is this little man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, who doesn't sit with scoffers. His delight is in God's law. In his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. She had a, a script. She would pray it when I needed some prayer. Ryan also had a scripture. I don't know what Ryan's was. Right, Jesus wept or something. <laughs> Things are said. We just need to apologize and bury the hatchet. I just made that up. I can't remember what, what's that? Psalm 84? <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're new to Venue Church, like... <sighs> I'm going back on my medication real soon. Um, <laughs> It's not just trying to keep your, your kid to keep the room clean. Because it's just like a box that just drives you crazy until you check. Did you like that? I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> it like drives you crazy. When I walk past my kids' rooms, except for Ailish's room, I walk past and I just like, I look in and I'm like, I just give up. I'm just like, close the door. Yeah. Walk on, just pretend I didn't see it. But mom's got to get there. And I'll tell you, you can like just try to check the box of like, must check clean room box. But... What if it's not about the room staying clean? What if it's about teaching your, your child that when it's clean, it de-stresses life? Like, this is good for you to learn so that your relationships have less stress. It's good to learn to keep your car clean so that every time you get in, you don't feel bad for having a messy car. And then you got to like, it it's good for you. Come on, somebody's got a messy car out there. It's good for you. You're... You want to get married, young man? They don't want to sit on a sandwich from like three Tuesdays ago. It's more than that. It's they need an impartation from God and you're there to do it. But he just, you just need a job so that you have a reason to be there. And some of you, what some of you do is you're like, you keep praying like, God, I hate my job. Give me a job that I like. And God's like, why don't you start loving the people at your job? Because then you'll love the job. Because the job's just there for the people. Maybe, maybe people, people think like, because I was an electrician. You know, being an electrician. Oh, it sounds great. No, no, it became great. But crawling under buildings with spiders, running tech cable, is not a fulfilling experience. Doesn't feel good, tastes good, cobwebs. Until you learn to love the people you're doing it for. Until you learn like, hey, I'm here because they might never meet another Christian. I'm here like, yeah, I'm doing the job. I got to get the job. But the light's going to come on. I'm here to serve. I'm here to... What if God thinks about it like it's a person's name? You, we can have a church that checks boxes off. Yeah, check. Did Sunday school again. And God's like, who is there? Was Andy there? What do you say? Did you tell him that you loved his shoes? 
when I see your kids out in the lobby, I'm just like, your hair is incredible. I want them to think of pastor like this guy who's just like, he likes my hair. He likes my shirt. He's glad I'm here. He asked me how Sunday school was. He thinks the craft that we did was incredible. I don't want him to teach us. He seems super fun, but he doesn't seem responsible. So like, it's good that he's in there and we're in here. That's good. Cause he has handlers in here, but it's just a sense of like, but are we just checking church off just to do church? We're just going to build a building. I want the, the guys, we have some guys doing a pipe grid in there for the lights. Well, we got to have these incredible auditorium lights, by the way. I don't want them just doing it just to do it so that they don't have to do it anymore. I want them to be like somebody down there when they're up on the, somebody down there is going to lift their hands and worship for the very first time. Somebody down there is going to come to the altar. Somebody down there, I'm going to, this is over the baptism. Where the, when you walk past like where they're, they're painting the walls, the outside walls right now, where you walk past and it's like, no, this is a nursery. And like broken kids from hard homes are going to get love right there. For the first time, they're going to know you don't have to be broken forever. Uh, you can be a little bit broken, but God's going to, you get everything you need, right? Come on. And we just, it's something that God wants something of his spirit through you and you're the channel, but you need the, the work for the, but I think that Elijah, if I can be honest, Elijah's pretty project oriented and when you're project oriented a little too much, the devil can set a trap for you after the mountain. What happens after the mountain? What happens after you get the promotion? Then what? There's always another finish line. There's always somebody who's doing better than you. There's always somebody who's got a bigger church than we got. Why do I care? God called me here for you. And why do I you can get into this weird competitive thing. When Ahab got home, it says, you remember last week, Elijah outruns Ahab. It says when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. What he should have gone was done is gone in there and fired her. And be like, hey, I showed up with my prophets and Elijah said everybody was supposed to be there with everybody's prophets. And where were you? You didn't show up at church. You're supposed to be at church and bring your prophets too. But he doesn't. He kind of... He raps, you know, he tells on Elijah, <laughs> snitches, right? <laughs> snitches? You don't get that? I thought it was funny. <laughs> My mom didn't think if Ryan said it, she'd think it was funny. Ahab <laughs> 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 tells on Elijah uh, everything that, uh, or uh, tells Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, to Elijah, watch this, may the gods strike me like gods with a little G in plural. So she's making a statement like, yeah, she denies that the nation just came back to God, Yahweh, one God, which just happened. She says, may the gods strike me. This is quite a curse and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you just as you killed them. So she sends by the hand of a messenger, a messenger that's like in 24 hours, you're dead. Now, Elijah on a good day is going to look at this thing differently than the way he's looking at it now. When you're tired, stuff doesn't, you miss the spirit of God when you're tired and when you're worn out. And after you've just accomplished something great, Venue Church, we just broke the power of greed over the city by giving what we gave to the house of God. And I'm like, but after we got to make sure project oriented people that we remember what it's for. And after is when we're susceptible to a little bit of panic. You have a good 
you have a, you know, God fixes something in your relationship or if you're married or with your teenager. And then, and then after there's this susceptible moment that you got to watch out for because Elijah on a good day would be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If she really thought she could kill me instead of sending a message, she could have sent him with a grenade. The messenger found him. So give the guy a gun. Right? That's what the devil does to you. He threatens you and you like freak out. And God's like, if he could have done it instead of threatening you, wouldn't he have just. You think Jezebel was going to risk after the entire nation has just turned back to Yahweh? You think Jezebel was going to risk taking out Elijah? There's no way in the world she would have. They'd have come to her palace and thrown her out the window, which eventually happens to Jezebel. They'd have done it that day. There's, you're susceptible after the mountain. It's okay to go through the valley of the shadow. Just don't end up in the cave. But Elijah ends up in a cave. Watch what happens. He was afraid and fled for his life. <laughs> he just freaked out and started running. I mean, look, if David runs from Goliath, he gets a spear between the shoulders, you know? You're only protected moving towards the war. There's grace for moving this way, but not this way. You know, the Romans used to have spikes in their sandals that were facing forward so that they couldn't really go back. They're pretty successful, yeah? Why? Because you couldn't physically move your feet backwards. We got like backwards moving feet now all the time. Like the devil just panics you because we missed something. You'll see it by the end. It says he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. It's not like a beer town. That's for free. I'm just saying. Some of y'all get too excited. And he left his servant there. Now he says, it says he left his servant there. Now the scriptures say he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. So no matter what you tell yourself, like as Elijah would have been like, I'm, I'm afraid for you. So I'm going to leave you here. But the scripture says he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. I Meaning, no, this is not about, you not wanting help or wanting company because you're noble. There's something else in there. And uh, so the devil, what he'll try to do after he panics you is he'll try to get you by yourself. And then watch what happens. Um, he went down alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. This is my Sunday afternoons after I preach, by the way. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better preacher than my dad was. You know, that's... <laughs> I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. So he goes from this susceptible moment, mountaintop to this susceptible moment, to panic, to isolation, to comparison. When you're like, you know, just doing the opposite and being, you know, if your dad was a jerk, just like doing better than your dad. God doesn't want you to just to, what? What does that mean? He wants you just to be you. Just be your best you. When you're trying to be the opposite of somebody else for, you know? And he's like, he gets in this weird little comparison trap. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. It's interesting he touched him and told him that. Like, come on, bud. We can, like, hug each other now. Yeah. Right? It's probably a good thing. I think we kind of missed it. I missed it. He touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So we ate and drank and lay down again. I don't It's almost like... He just rolled over and went back to sleep. 
You know, when you get isolated, I don't think that God sends you some bread by the hand of an angel and you're just like, you eat it and then you just roll over and go back to sleep. If I turn the TV on at night, like Pastor Eric, she just rolls over and goes to sleep. She's gone. Why is that weird? We're married. It's okay. There's this thing sometimes when you get isolated that you're just like, eh, it's just all about you. Some, you know, like angels like, dude, this took me hours. I could be fighting the devil right now, but I'm making bread, you know? And it says, and the angel of the Lord came again and touched him. I didn't look at, make eye contact with my wife the whole time there. Did you notice that? Yeah. Smart. Because <laughs> on my first date. And uh, the angel came and said, after he rested, get up and eat some more. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. You know, when I was a kid, I used to think like, this is in Sunday school, like, good. He's returning to Mount Sinai where Moses and the, you know, commandments. It's a return to Sinai. But now I kind of help, can't help but wonder, like, maybe, maybe God didn't tell him to go to Sinai. But the angels still fed him. And I think sometimes even when you're going in the wrong direction for 40 days and 40 nights, God, God still loves you. And he still kind of puts gas in the tank of your car. And you see, the grocery bill keeps getting paid sometimes just because God is good, not because we're super smart or going in the right direction. And it says, then he came to a cave. Now, this is, this is where we end up. He came to a cave where he spent the night. Now, when you get to the cave... Um, A cave is kind of a place, I think, that promises more safety than you get, right? A cave is, in my mind, how I always argue about stuff in marriage. I'm kind of comfortable there. You know, I, I, it's a return to how I always spend money. It's a return to how I always interact with my boss. It's a return to how I always think about that. It's a return to my addictions. It's a re return to... A cave promises safety because you know it and you're comfortable with it and you're familiar with it. But it's also like a huge dead end. Like it goes nowhere. It's just a cave. It's, you're hit, you hit a wall before too long. And we end up in these little places where Elijah, the, prophet, the great prophet, you know, the best guy in Israel right now, he ends up in a cave. How did he get there? But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here? And when the Lord asks you a question, do you suppose it's because he doesn't know? What he's asking you? Layton, what are you doing here, man? He has a fight with Amy. What are you doing over here? He went and found himself a cave. And he's like, what are you doing? And then we, what we do is we educate God. Well, you don't understand, obviously, because this wouldn't be happening if you did. But the reason that I'm upset is because my wife is a jerk. When God asks you a question, you know what it is? He knows the, he knows why you're there. He just wants you to say whatever it is that you got stuck in your head so that you can get it out in the open so that he can tell you that it's not true. <laughs> that's why you say it out loud in your small group sometimes. And they're like, no, that's crazy. When you're like, no, and this is what I think. And your small group leader is like, I feel like that's not right. Cause you need to hear yourself say it out loud because you've been working on it inside. See, and when the devil gets you alone and you got 40 days to work yourself up. See, he'll seed an idea in there and you'll start building an argument around it. You'll take it and run with it. And by the time you get to this conversation, you know, your boss is like, hey, in a week we need to talk about this thing that happened. By the time you get there, 
You've run that conversation 10,000 times. I'm super good at this if that's a good thing to be good at. I've run it 10,000 times, and by the time I get there, my boss is real dumb and I'm real smart. Because in my head, he doesn't get to say anything. And I'm like, I got all these like zingers, right? Come on, marriage people. I got all these zingers. I'm like, yeah. And he asks Elijah, and Elijah's got all these zingers. And, and he's like, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. And God's like, me? What are you doing here? I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. And he's like, why don't you just say, I've zealously served you? This is a conversation with a person. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, watch, watch what he's prepared, have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know what God says to him? Like, you poor thing. Let's talk about it. He's like, go out, stand on the mountain. And, and this is the part that we don't like when we're in a cave with a story. Is that God's like, get up and walk out. The only one who walked in there is you. Devil didn't put you in there. There's this element where you got to get up and walk out. Because sometimes we get in a cave, we don't want to go out. And it says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. God does a drive-by. This is hilarious, you know. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. So you know what I think God is saying here to somebody? Like, this is not like theologically whatever. I just think that God is saying, like, I can be dramatic too. I can walk into a locker room and kick the chairs across the room if you want. But maybe what you need to do is listen. Maybe what you need is my words to replace your words. And, and it says when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his like hairy prophet mantle. His hairy face in a hairy cloak. I mean, that's what this is. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the caves. And, and that's the key right there. He went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. Like, look, that's all you got, then, but you got to get to that entrance of that cave. And a voice said for the second time, because he didn't answer the question the first time. What are you doing here? I hate it when God says that to me, by the way. I hate it. Why are you here, Corey? I, got, I say the first thing, and then he just said, keeps saying the same thing, because God is kind of stubborn. And he, no, he doesn't think that you're smarter than he is. It's like he's just trying to get you to say it so that you realize, like, oh, my goodness. He replies word for word, I have zealously served the Lord God, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. I've said this a million times. I'm not going to get it. Like, word for word, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know what? You know what? Let's dig this apart. Let's go, let's go through this. Let's start in the, um, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. No, no, 40 days before they just reestablished a covenant with the Lord. The Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. There's only one. There's no more. Not true. Um, they torn down your altars. That's past. That's old Israel. Didn't Elijah just build one? And weren't they there with it? Yeah, right. Not true. They torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. 
Obadiah, before he went to the mountain, had told him, I hit a hundred of them just myself. They killed everyone? No. And they didn't kill the prophets. Jezebel did. Two lives in the one. And he said, I'm the only one left. Not true. And now they're trying to kill me too. The nation of Israel is not trying to kill him. They just came back to God. Even Jezebel is too scared to kill him. She just wants to threaten him. Not true. But see, before I always thought that the first one would be true too. But if your kid just lied to you five times in a row, the sixth one's probably a lie too. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. And I feel like God is just saying to somebody, you've zealously done something. You were zealous about it. Yeah, you're carrying a cross. I don't think it's my cross. I'm good at carrying a cross, man. I can sweat. I can bleed. And then God's like, what are you doing here? And what? I didn't give you that cross. You got the wrong cross. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because I'll carry it for you. Doesn't mean you don't hang on a cross. Doesn't mean that you die, Christ follower. It doesn't mean that you don't get to die. You do, but you get the grace of God to do it. And if your life doesn't have the grace and you end up in a cave, you're carrying the wrong cross. And I realized, yeah, no, it's not enough to carry a cross. I have to carry the right cross. Watch what God says to him. You ready to come out of the cave today? Listen, before I read this last verse, if the mountain is a little about you, the cave will be a lot. See, the mountain, it wasn't just about God and it wasn't just about the people. It was a project and it was about Elijah checking a box off. Nailed it. Did it. All by myself. I can do it by myself. And he, if the mountain's a little about you, then the cave is going to be a lot about you. The Lord told him, go back the same way you came. I love this and I hate it. Because go back the same way you came. Unwind everything that you believe because it's all opposite. Say the opposite of what you think right now because it's the truth. The opposite is what I'm doing. It says, um, travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha to take over from you. Anyone who escapes Hazel will be killed by Jehu. He's like, and by the way, Jehu will kill Jezebel. So what are you all wrapped up about? The person you appoint will go and do that. You're not the only arrow in my quiver. God is saying, you're just, your significance is not because you're the only one. Your significance is because of what you're a part of. Just do the thing that I asked you to do. And then he says, um, anyone who escapes Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Elisha, who performed twice the miracles that his master did. And he's like, yet I will preserve 7,000 in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Listen, it's not the destination. It's the company you keep on the road. That's what gets you where you need to go. But you've got to get there with me. There's no point in escaping Egypt if you do it by yourself. What about your people? What about the people God gave you in your home? What about the people in your neighborhood that were supposed to come out with you? And God's saying the reason you're in a cave is because Elijah, you didn't do it the, the journey with people. And as bad as he gets this now, you come back next week, you're going to see. By the time he leaves the earth, he leaves in a chariot of fire. And everything that he got wrong up till this point, he gets right and you're going to see it next week. It's not just the destination, it's the people that God sent to walk with you.